This is Putting Numbers to Work from MetLife, where complex data from the benefits landscape is distilled into lessons employers can immediately put into action. Now here's your host, Marcus Smallwood. Welcome to MetLife's podcast, Putting Numbers to Work, where experts take complex ideas from across the benefit research landscape and distill them into lessons employers can put into action. Hi there, I'm Marcus Smallwood. HR professionals are inundated with new stories and emerging trends that help predict radical shifts in employee expectations and how organizations need to change to stay competitive. It's hard to know who to trust, what's hype, what's real, and what's going to have an impact. This show will give you the data, confidence, and practical advice you need to help stay competitive and build a stronger, more productive, and holistically healthy workforce. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Alia Yacoub, the Chief Medical Officer of Thrive Global. We'll be diving into the latest insights from the front lines on the fight to end the stress burnout epidemic and why focusing on the mental and social health of employees is key to promoting overall wellness and successfully managing a diverse workforce. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yacoub. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You know, I am so excited to have this discussion with you today. This is such an important topic, and I know that our listeners will be leaning in to better understand the role they can play to help with the stress burnout epidemic. So you are currently the chief medical officer at Thrive Global, which is a company to end the stress burnout epidemic by offering companies and individuals sustainable science-based solutions to enhance both well-being and performance. So tell us a little more about you, what drives you, and what you're up to at Thrive Global. Absolutely. So I'm Dr. Alia Yacoub. I'm Thrive Chief Medical Officer, as you as you mentioned, and I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician as well. I spent the last 10 years or so working with and starting startups in the healthcare space, from diagnostics to women's health, primary care, and AI-driven solutions for doctors. I uh, joined Thrive about a year ago. I'm very passionate about the behavioral health space, and especially when it comes to helping employers come up with a cohesive wellness strategy, because I've seen lots of point solutions being thrown at people and really to create true change and allow people to bring their whole selves to work. There needs to be some cultural activation. They need to be given permission by their leaders. They need to be able to show up as their whole selves to work, but that's easier said than done. So that's why we take a really multi-pronged approach at Thrive. And at Thrive, I oversee our scientific advisory board, do some of our research, help develop some of our curriculums, and then serve as an executive sponsor for some of our biggest accounts. And beyond wearing those hats, I also facilitate webinars and do leadership journeys and coaching. So lots of fun things that I have my hands in. I get to see different parts of the business and uh, I'm never bored for sure. I don't know how you could be bored. You wear, you do wear many hats. And uh, I, I'm just grateful that you have time to talk about this important discussion today. Definitely have, have your hands full, but meaningful work indeed. Now, I think that we can all agree that the past two years have been incredibly stressful for the average American, particularly for women. And the workforce is continuing to battle a mental health crisis. Now, it's no surprise that there continues to be conversations around employee burnout. Research from our latest benefit trends study found that most employers are definitely paying attention and recognizing the hardships that their employees are facing and they're acting upon it. But just like my own kids, the workforce is very diverse and the needs of employers and employees differ from company to company. So 
the question I have for you is what's your perspective on companies? You know, how are you seeing they're acting upon the mental health crisis? And do you think that they're, they're doing enough or is there room for improvement? I think there's definitely a huge appetite for change. And the pandemic has brought that about. People are wanting to work in a different way. We know that employees across the board in study after study and survey after survey are talking about the importance of flexibility, autonomy. Women are speaking up about how much domestic and household tasks play into their stress level. We're hearing from parents who are working parents saying, I'm struggling with my teens. So we're seeing lots of different needs come to the forefront. And then, of course, we see, you know, generational differences between Gen Z, millennials, baby boomers, et cetera. So I think companies are trying their very best to get a grip on, okay, what are the problems that we're experiencing? And then how do we serve these different populations in a way that's meaningful for them, in a way that makes their work and their jobs sustainable? And how do we create an environment where people feel like they belong? So I think everyone's grappling with that. Yeah, it, it is comforting that the, the companies are putting such a focus in this area. Now, maybe you can share with us a little bit about, I was reading about the mental health stigma, and maybe you can share your thoughts on, on that and then and specifically maybe dive into how leaders might adapt to challenge the status quo of, uh, of that stigma. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in America, at least, we have come a long way when it comes to erasing some of that stigma. But if you look in terms of globally, we see a lot of countries and cultures where that stigma is still very pervasive. And you see certain industries and in certain levels of employment where people still feel that the stigma is real. You see leaders really struggling with opening up and sharing about their own mental health struggles because they don't want to be perceived as weak. And so we participate in a lot of programming, webinars, education to make people feel like they have the ability to share, to be vulnerable. And that vulnerability is actually our strength. And the other thing to realize is that we all have one health. We don't have physical health and mental health. Our health is all intertwined. And we all sit on a spectrum where there are going to be times when, you know, we have a physical ailment. There are going to be times when we have something that comes up in our mental health. We might have lose a family member and feel like we need time to grieve appropriately and go through that bereavement. And that bereavement can then lead into depression. We might have acute stress that then becomes chronic stress. And then that increases our risk for anxiety and depression. So what I'm kind of getting at is that every single one of us humans on this earth will face some sort of issue with our mental health at one point or another. So if we can come together and say, you know, this is part of human existence is going through challenges and it's normal to seek help and it's normal to go to therapy and it's normal to work on yourself, then I think we'll be in a much better place. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And we do need to, you know, think about how we can make this more of a normal topic and especially in the workplace. And and, and have employees feel comfortable, you know, speaking about things that are impacting their lives as well. I'll just share an experience too. I mean, I have a leader uh, at MetLife and where my mom had passed away and I was struggling with it quite a bit. I put on a really good, strong face. I went to work and I, I was doing my job. And this leader knew that my mom had passed away, even though I wasn't bringing it up. And he shared his own experience about losing his mom with me. And that gave me the comfort to open up and I, I needed to get some things off of my chest and my colleagues were there for me in my time of need, but I would have never uh, have brought it up. Um, but having a leader set that example 
uh, was very meaningful uh, for me. I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And thank you so much for sharing that. I think it makes a tremendous difference when leaders in our organizations can open up and be vulnerable, when they can share what they struggle with. All of a sudden, it makes it, makes it okay for everyone else to say, you know, I struggle with that too, or I have a different struggle. And so that's part of our mission is getting leaders to open up, to take care of themselves and to really share because storytelling is a key component of being human. It inspires us. And I think we need to start doing more of it. Yeah, I agree too. And I'll tell you, I mean, it, it, it definitely helps from putting a focus on, on the importance of, of mental well-being, but it also plays into loyalty too. You know, I, you know that, I mean, I, I love my company. I love what I do, but that just gave me more trust and respect for the people that I work with and that I felt like I belonged and could be accepted no matter what I was going through in my life as well. So let's dive into, so look, flexibility, you know, has certainly become a hot topic among employees and employers alike. What's your perspective around the future of flexibility in the workplace and how can it impact the health, specifically mental health of employees? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a a tough question because we have folks who work on the front lines in multiple industries where it's harder to say, hey, you can have lots of flexibility because unfortunately, those are the folks that have to work in manufacturing, they have to work in hospitals, they have to work in retail or in hospitality where their job requires them to be face-to-face with customers and with each other. I think folks who are working from home have really benefited the most from that flexibility, but we see folks in the hospitality industry, we see companies saying, we're going to give our employees more flexibility. We're going to figure out how to create shift structures. We're going to create more part-time opportunities so that Working moms can get back into the workforce if they, you know, need to pick up their kids and want to work those early hours or want to work after their kids are in bed at night. So creating that flexibility is going to be, I think, the next wave of how employers need to start thinking. And they need to think creatively amongst their roles that they have in their industry. I think for sure people are are craving that, they're demanding that, and we see that over and over again in all of the latest health survey data. Are you seeing that there's a cognitive difference in different types of flexibility? So, so how you work, where you work, even what you wear or, or leave policies that companies are, are implementing? I see that amongst knowledge workers who are sitting in front of a screen, you see a little bit more, for sure, you see a little bit more flexibility there. People are deciding, hey, I want to start later. I want to end later. I want to do a yoga class in the middle of the day because I don't need to you know, be at my desk from... 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. that I can schedule my meetings around that. You also see something really interesting happening, which is you have a more global workforce where you have folks being hired onto teams where, you know, the team is not necessarily based in one country. You have people based all over the world. And so there is more of this collaborative work environment happening where people are off schedule with each other. The working hours are, are different if you're working in India versus the U.S., And so I think there, there's the opportunity for much more flexibility in terms of building wellness activities into your workday or, you know, accounting for how do you pick up and drop off your kids or how do you go to doctor's appointments with your ailing mother or father, or, you know, if you're a caregiver, you know, there's a lot of stress there. So folks who are working from home definitely have more flexibility to, to handle those types of situations. But I think there's a way to get people flexibility, even if they are working in person, if they are on the front lines, if they're working in a factory, 
perhaps creating a system where people can switch shifts or where they can creatively figure out ways to handle their personal priorities and their professional priorities as well. So now we've been studying holistic well-being for three years through our, our trend study. If we look at our longitudinal data from the last few years, employees' mental health remains at a lower level than pre-pandemic. Employees are feeling the strain more than they ever have in terms of stress, burnout, and depression. We're seeing that 31% of employees have sought help for stress, burnout, or mental health issues. And furthermore, different groups, well, they're impacted differently. For example, mental health is significantly lower among younger employees, women, those who aren't white, and those with uh, lower incomes. So I guess the question is, have you seen these generational and demographic differences in your work as well? Absolutely. And some of the big things I want to call out, the reason why we're seeing this, obviously the pandemic has created a lot of social isolation. So although the pandemic from a public health standpoint is cooling down, people are still more socially isolated than they were pre-pandemic. Folks who grew up during that time over the last you know, couple of years who entered their first job, for instance, don't have as much of a social network. So that social isolation holds true for them. The other thing is technology. We have a huge technology paradox. So technology has made so many things possible for us over the last few years. Our world is much more convenient. We have the Uber that we can call. We have the groceries that can be delivered. We have the food that we can DoorDash. And across industries, things have become much more convenient for us. So everything can be ordered from your fingertips on your phone. However, we're also engaging with social media and gaming in a different way. We see screen time skyrocketing for teens and adults. Pre-pandemic, teens were spending about four hours a day on uh, screens, and now they're spending almost eight hours. That's more time than they're spending sleeping. That's more time than they're spending with their families. So that's kind of become a problem. And when most of our interactions are on social media or on screens, and we don't have that face-to-face interaction, it can lead to some of those more difficult mental health outcomes as well. So those are a couple, a couple of things, yeah, that I've noticed. So we know that the four elements of health are interconnected in, in many ways. Something else that, that I found interesting from, from MetLife's Benefit Trend Study was that physical health and financial wellness have stabilized since the onset of the pandemic, creating space for employers to increase support for social and mental well-being, which are closely linked. Now, social health has emerged as the top driver of mental health. Employees who are socially healthy are almost three times as likely to be mentally healthy than those who are not socially healthy. Perhaps a clear sign that employers can benefit from efforts to improve social health. So Dr. Yacoub, in the age of remote and hybrid work, which I honestly believe is here to stay, how can employers think differently about social health? Social health to me, when you, when you tell me that, it really speaks to me about connection. So connection is a big part of it. Like, do we feel connected to our colleagues? Do we feel connected to a network, a social support system, a circle of people outside of work, perhaps? Do we have that social fabric that kind of envelops us? And we know there's been so much research done on this. Harvard has this really great long-term study conducted by Dr. Robert Waldinger, where they've like looked at people who have strong social ties and have found that those people are likely to live longer, to be healthier, report being more satisfied, more connected to their purpose. And lastly, they have lower rates of anxiety and depression. So if we can 
find a friend in the workplace. Also, this is this was very interesting to me is that amongst frontline healthcare workers, if there's a nurse who has one meaningful friendship with someone in the workplace, she's less likely to be burnt out. He or she is less likely to be burnt out. They're more likely to stay in their job and more likely to be satisfied with their work. So just one meaningful friendship changes things for people. And, you know, remote work has so many incredible benefits. One of the downfalls of it is it's easy to just operate in a silo, sit at your desk somewhere at home and just not interact with anyone beyond your work. And I see people doing that and it's really contributing to not as good mental health outcomes you know, people experiencing more depression and anxiety because frankly, they're lonely. They're getting their work done. They're efficient. They're doing well at their jobs, but they're not connecting with people and saying, Hey, let's like grab a coffee, even virtually let's, you know, sit down and eat our lunch together and just connect. Let's, let's connect beyond the question of how are you? Because that doesn't really leave space for connection. Yeah. I hate that we had to take two years off from, from seeing each other. Right. And I mean, we saw each other through, through the camera, but we had, I I think the benefits were we had to work really hard to stay connected and it did bring out some, some um, really good ideas. One, we, we did this thing where we wanted to make sure we spotlighted certain associates and through that spotlighting, we would share some of the things that they like to do. And there was connections that were made. There were employees that says, Oh, you like to cook. I like to cook. You like romance novels. I like romance novels. And they were able to connect and, and, and share non-work-related interests with one another and coming out of the pandemic when they got to see each other, their relationships had grown even stronger. So you got to put effort into it. You got to work at it, but it's, it's, it's critically important for our social well-being as well. Absolutely. And, and like, like you were kind of hinting at, for those people who this is their first job, they, they entered the workforce during the pandemic. They don't have anything to look back to uh, in terms of pre-pandemic. They didn't have that workplace behavior. They don't know what's normal. So those are the folks that I'm most concerned about amongst all groups. Yeah, there's a whole workforce that just started working today, right? And and work looks a lot different. And this is what their their, their normal is. So, hey, I have a self-serving question for you. Okay. Now, I, I lead a highly dynamic team. They're full of energy. They have a lot on their plates. And although I constantly encourage work-life balance, sometimes that balance, well, it just seems out of reach. So what are your perspectives on the role of people managers? They are often the front lines for their individual team members and their challenges. How can they be better equipped to support these emerging needs within the mental and social health space? Yes, really excellent question. I think people managers have inherited not not more of a burden, but more more work, more diversified work than pre-pandemic, which is that you're not only leading teams and directing strategic initiatives, but you're also trying to check in on people and make sure they're doing okay, make sure that you're supporting them. And so part of that is communication, right? Having regular one-on-ones. And in your one-on-ones, going beyond the question of how are you and asking people very specifically, how's your workload? How are you doing, you know, with that workload? Is there anything I can do to support you? What makes you thrive outside of work? How can I help you achieve your goals in terms of work-life integration? And really stepping beyond, I think, what we have done historically and moving towards really that support mechanism and being that advocate for them in their job not only coaching them in terms of making sure that you're giving them feedback to course correct so that they can be successful, 
but also really constantly checking in with them to see how they're feeling, how they're doing. Because as you mentioned, some people can power through. They can have something terrible happen in their lives. They can show a brave face. It's easy to do that via video conference. And if you build that trust with with folks on your team, then that's something that over time will allow them to feel comfortable in coming to you and being more proactive about communicating with you as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I think it's, you know, we, we all need to take that time just to pause, and take a time out. And, and like you said, to check in and make it about the individual, because there's a lot of wonderful moments that can happen when we slow down a bit and we, we truly put the focus on people. Absolutely. And another thing that came to mind is to just show some vulnerability. Here times in your career where you maybe messed up, where you failed and you know, show that vulnerability that, hey, even though I'm your leader, I'm not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. I expect you to always try. I expect you to always stand back up and, and do your best. But really setting this tone of like, you've got this. You can do this. You're resilient. You can fail. You can grow. You can repeat that cycle. And we're here as a team together to do that. All right. So let's jump to employee assistant programs, right? More commonly referred to as EAPs which many employers have implemented. Where have you seen successes and are there tactics employers can implement to make sure that employees take advantage of them? Yeah, I think the the common gripe with EAP programs is that they're old school, right? There hasn't been a ton of innovation. You have to call a number or get in touch with someone. Often you don't know what that person's professional credentials are. And there isn't a sense of being matched up with somebody who has a personality type or a demographic or something that you connect with. So I I hear gripes about that all the time. I think EAP programs became a box that companies had to check off and have. And now you see sort of the second generation of that, which is companies really engaging with mental health platforms and mental health companies to offer something more innovative and a step above that. But that is not to diminish the value of the EAP program. It's really important for employees to make use of those resources, get the counseling that they need if they are in need. It's, I think, challenging to get people to utilize those programs. So so I think that becomes a struggle. If there was some way to rebrand EAP programs and make them flashier and more up-to-date and more innovative, I think people would be more likely to jump on that. Yeah, we, we need to figure out the secret sauce to, you know, change the perception of, of EAPs. And I mean, you hit on a, a few of those areas, but, you know, what we found is like Gen Zs are significantly more likely to say that they're, it just costs too much, right? And, you know, Black and African Americans, like you had mentioned too, you know, that they, they feel like the therapists that they're assigned to might not hit their concerns, their stressors or their, their issues, and so hopefully we can figure a way to change that perspective. And, and maybe that's around communication and effectively, you know, communicating the value that these EAP programs bring to the table. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are just about out of time. But before we go, I, I did want to highlight a few things that we touched on and key into potential action items for employers and leaders to consider. So we just talked about, you know, uh, first for managers and then those people, leaders that are listening There's clear value in leaders sharing their own experiences and being vulnerable. We talked about the role of EAPs and the importance of breaking down a stigma. Uh, Employees who are currently, that they have an EAP program and they utilize them, um, they are significantly more likely to say that they're mentally healthy. We hit on the importance of 
flexibility. And, and Dr. Yaku provided some really great advice and insight there. Employees who say they that their employers provide them with the flexibility that they need to uh, manage both their work and their life are significantly more likely to feel mentally healthy. Now, we also discussed the importance of managers and their support. 77% of employees who say their manager is supportive are much more likely to say they feel mentally healthy. And let's remember not to ignore the important connections between mental and other elements of health. Implementing short and long-term programs and initiatives to help drive total wellness around social, financial, and mental health. So Dr. Yacoub, any closing thoughts from you or any additional advice that you'd like to share before we close today? Uh, I think we talked about so much today. I would say just to reiterate the point that leaders have such a responsibility and have such an opportunity to model good behavior and to give cultural permission to the teams that work under them. So you as a leader talking about your wellness, talking about what you do to take care of yourself really has a tremendous impact in allowing other people to show up as their whole selves, as their authentic selves to work. And I I guess that, that would be my biggest tip. And thank you so much, Marcus, for having me today. This is an incredible discussion. I agree. And I want to thank you for for joining us as well. Well, that's all the time that we have today. I want to say thank you so much to Dr. Akub for joining us today to discuss generation and satisfaction shifts in the workforce today. Make sure you subscribe to Putting Numbers to Work. And if you're enjoying the show, which I hope that you are, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. Again, I'm Marcus Smallwood, and this has been Putting Numbers to Work presented by MetLife.